feels wrong to not have a song. Right? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse in the Mailbag, a podcast where we answer questions, and that's it. <laughs> this is our second and final episode. We want to do one last mailbag, catch all the remaining questions, talk about uh, any remaining things we had interest in before the finale next week, Moana. Yep. Uh, I am Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined as always by my mother, Rue Coleman. Hello. I wasn't sure if we need to introduce ourselves because if you're starting on this one, it's weird. It is weird. Weird one to start on. I'm going to start this podcast on the penultimate episode. I'd really advise you to A, go back earlier in the podcast, and B, maybe listen to one of the actual episodes. (laughs) (laughs) You're kind of just watching uh, Cinderella 3 without having seen Cinderella 1 or 2. (laughs) <laughs> this is a weird, unofficial spinoff. Uh, but mom, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? You know, I listened to a little bit of our last mailbag recorded a little over a year ago. Yeah. Um, June 2021-ish. And mm-hmm. in that one, I start by talking about like, oh, it's so hot today. It's 105 degrees. <laughs> uh, this weekend... It got to 114 degrees in Lincoln. Wow. So I am with heat index, but still. So I'm once again super hot. Yep. And, uh, you know, you just got to not think of every year as the hottest year of your life, but as the coldest year of the rest of your life. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) Well, Mom, we are here today to answer some questions. It's true. And also to talk about some other stuff. We're going to uh-huh. talk about the animated movies we didn't get a chance to cover. Yep. Uh, the animated canon movies. I sh- Not just every animated movie. No. We haven't co- so, Mom, what did you think of Redline? <laughs> uh, so we want to give a thank you to everyone who sent in a question. Per usual, we mixed them up. We shoveled them around. We changed the wording on some. So uh, just like to do all our thank yous up top to Sydney Sharing once again. Aaron Huck, Kristen Griffith, and past guest, Becky Samdahl. <laughs> Thank you very much for saying good questions. I think that's it, right? I think so. And once again, I will note this episode is not being edited by our wonderful professional editor, Brad Murray at Oak Studios. Insert joke here. Oh, wait, I don't have one. <laughs> uh, this one, I'm just going to do a quick pass with these mailbag episodes, so it probably won't sound as good. And again, this is this is Cinderella 3. We got a lower budget. No time to turn it around. It will be bad. I'm kidding. Just a little lower um, quality. It will be slightly lower quality. But everyone's trying their best. <laughs> but first, before we get into all of that excitement, Mom? Yeah? We're going to do a little sort of bonus episode, truncated mm-hmm. bonus episode. Yeah. Not about the canon. Uh-huh. There is something that... Uh, I've been fascinated with ever since it was announced uh-huh. in 2020. Uh, a movie which I have tweeted about many times from the <laughs> Mom Mouse account. And uh, as I just continued to get stranger and stranger, <laughs> I was like, we have to cover this on the podcast. Uh, I think it's too weird not to talk about this on the podcast. Uh-huh. And that movie is, of course, 2022's Lightyear. Directed by Angus McLean. Yep. So I, to give a quick recap for our listeners who may not have been following this quite as obsessively as I have. (laughs) I don't know that anybody followed it as obsessively as you. I certainly hope not. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have been interested in this movie since it was announced in December 2020. It was announced with a very short teaser that showed a weird, uncanny valley realistic Buzz Lightyear. And a tweet from Pixar that said, quote, Lightyear is the definitive story of the original Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Mom knows this because she and I have been making fun of this ever since. It's true. Because it's gibberish. What does that mean? <laughs> yep. The definitive... So the we had four Toy Stories and those weren't definitive enough for you? <laughs> also, what's the original Buzz Lightyear? Like the, the factory, you know, mold? What are we talking about? I think originally we thought it was going to be like, so there was a person that the Buzz Lightyear toy was based on? Well, that's because later that day, the star of Lightyear, Chris Evans, tweeted this out. Quote, Just to be clear, this isn't Buzz Lightyear the toy. This is the origin story of the human Buzz Lightyear that the toy is based on. Uh-huh. And we were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone on Earth was like, what are you talking about? Right. Buzz Lightyear isn't based on anything. And then eventually, after much confusion over <laughs> both of these bizarrely worded tweets, Pete Doctor said that actually Lightyear was a movie and the toy was a toy from that movie. So it's a movie that exists in Andy's world. A lot of conflicting answers. So yep. around this time, I started looking up, okay, what is the actual premise of this movie? What is the actual genesis? And in order to talk about that, we need to talk about the film's director, lead writer, and voice of many of its side characters, Angus McLean, who is a sad, strange little man, and he has my pity. Indeed. McLean was born in 1975 in California. He grew up in Oregon. As a young nerd, he originally wanted to be a comic book artist, but switched to animation halfway through college because he wanted to work at the stop-motion animation studio that would become Leica. That didn't work out, so he went to Pixar, where he started as an animator on the excellent short film Jerry's Game. I love that one. It's the best. I think it's still the best Pixar short. My favorite Disney short is Paper Man, but my favorite Pixar short is Jerry's Game. <laughs> anyway, he's been an animator for them ever since. And in his free time, Angus is a Lego obsessive. He lists among his proudest accomplishments the fact that a Lego Wall-E he designed is now an official set, set 21303, if you're nice. wondering. He also designed a line of Lego Funko Pop-like collectibles he called Cube Dudes in 2009. <laughs> he made over 100 figures in this fake toy line for himself, which he would tour at cons, and they were all pop culture characters like the Predator, Robocop, Batman, Optimus Prime. Uh, you can actually see these if you watch the terrible Beyond Infinity making of little feature that's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Lego eventually took this idea for their own Brickheads. That's Brickheads with a Z, Mom. Yeah, I know. Line of basically the same thing. And I will explain why all this is relevant a little later. <laughs> It's worth taking a look at all of McLean's other directorial credits prior to Lightyear. His first credit as a director was for the CGI scenes on Buzz Lightyear's Star Command, The Adventure Begins, as well as the actual CGI intros for the show. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the show, it starts with a little CGI goofy thing of the toy Buzz Lightyear. He's always doing something different before going into the TV show. 
with the cartoon Buzz Lightyear that the toy is watching. Uh, this was in part because he was actually lead animator on Buzz when making Toy Story 2. He then directed the WALL-E DVD short Bernie, followed by two Toy Story shorts, both of which are mostly focused on Buzz Lightyear. Not surprising. He then co-directed Finding Dory, which was a huge success, so much so that he was asked to pitch his own ideas for an original movie. And what he pitched was a story he'd been apparently working on for several years in his own time, Lightyear. So that is what Lightyear actually is, and why no one at Disney wants to give a straight answer about what it actually is. Because what it is, is fan fiction from a toy-obsessed, Buzz Lightyear-obsessed Disney animator whose last film made so much money that Pixar figured he was worth a shot. <laughs> McLean has given several different versions of how his movie connects to the Toy Story universe. Broadly speaking, his take is that this movie was Andy's Star Wars, based on Angus's own experience watching Empire Strikes Back in theaters when he was five. But Angus doesn't really seem to know that much about Toy Story canon. Not that it matters too much, but for what it's worth, the Toy Story script specifies that Andy is celebrating his sixth birthday when he gets a Buzz Lightyear toy. And most of the other Disney-slash-Pixar people have said, even telling this to critics at screenings when the movie came out, that the movie came out in the 90s, either 94, 95, and Andy saw it in theaters, and that's why there is a new, exciting toy about it. Uh-huh. But Angus is insistent about the fact that this movie is supposed to have come out in the late 70s or early 80s. He's given lots of different dates. Mostly, he says, 1986. My suspicion is that McLean cares so much about this date because it's when he, as someone born in 1975, was having his childhood. Uh-huh. His explanation for why Lightyear was Andy's favorite movie, despite it having come out years before he was born once he was finally called out on this fact, is either that Andy saw it on VHS or that he was actually a fan of the real Ghostbusters-esque Buzz Lightyear TV show that came out in the 90s and his toy is from that. The latter, of course, being his attempt to keep the Buzz Lightyear Star Command show part of the canon. The opening crawl of the movie itself refuses to take sides on this issue. It reads <laughs> simply, In 1995, Andy got a toy. That toy is from his favorite movie, this is that movie. Whenever it happened. Exactly. Whenever he got to see it, whenever it happened. Now, as funny as all of this is, the reason McLean doesn't give a straight answer to what his movie has to do with Toy Story is because he doesn't care. For a guy who spent his whole career working on Buzz Lightyear stuff, he has no interest in Buzz Lightyear the character. Mm -hmm. I've probably read and watched more interviews with him than anyone, and I never hear him talking about the characters of the movie or its plot or themes or why anyone should watch it, barring one bizarre quote from the Beyond Infinity special, which I'll talk about later. What he does talk about quite consistently and eloquently is all of the toys that came out from this <laughs> fake movie. He can speak at length about how Buzz was a Kenner toy and how the TV toys differentiated from the movie toys and what was released and when and even the collector's value of them. He has explained that the reason Andy didn't have a Socks the Cat toy is because that was a more high-end expensive toy made by either Worlds of Wonder or Tiger Electronics and it sold out quickly, comparing this to his own experiences trying to get an AT-AT toy. Oh man... He gives a lot of explanations like this, many of which directly contradict the Toy Story movies again. 
So here's what I'm getting at. This movie did very poorly. It was badly reviewed, because it's not very good. And it did so poorly at the box office that a week after it came out, IMAX cut a special deal with Disney to buy out the rest of the time Lightyear was supposed to spend in IMAX theaters and replace it with the way more successful Top Gun Maverick. It is an embarrassing failure for Pixar. And a lot of people have pointed to this as yet another example of the commercialization of Disney and Pixar just doing yet another sequel spin-off instead of an original story, and it's so obviously written by committee and all that. <laughs> I understand why people feel that way, but I think it's important to understand this truly is Angus McLean's passion project. Yeah, this I'll... is his director's cut of the movie he was put on <laughs> Earth to create. This is him bearing his soul. And the problem is that he doesn't have one. <laughs> and this is what I find so troubling about this movie and concept. The original Toy Stories were about imaginative play. If there is right. a Buzz Lightyear canon, Andy doesn't care about it. It's just a cool toy with cool accessories. And he makes Buzz team up with a cowboy to take down a piggy bank with an army of monkeys. It's yep. very creative and very silly. It was definitely how Isaiah and I played with our toys, even the ones that were from an established property like Star Wars. But that's not how Angus plays with his toys. <laughs> does he play with his toys or does he collect them? Well, given the infinite possibilities of Lego and the clear, like, he's a great builder. He has the talent to make anything he wanted with them. Yeah. He came up with build your own Funko Pops. <laughs> a pop culture knockoff of a pop culture knockoff. Lightyear is a love letter to corporate fandom from a walking Stranger Things reference. <laughs> and for that reason, even independent of the movie itself, I think this is one of the most troubling movies to come out in a while. Because it's <laughs> from someone who is completely drunk the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? Yep. Anyway... We watched this on Disney Plus, so of course we did. What did you think of it, Mom? Oh, <laughs> uh, this movie was not very good. Um, I definitely agree with the consensus opinion out there. It proves yet again that it is hard to make a movie that is mostly reference humor. It's possible to make a good movie that's got a lot of reference humor. But it's not easy. This movie is definitely one that has seen other movies and it makes oh, so man. many references. Like it opens with when you first see Buzz Lightyear, he does the exact same stuff as he does at the very beginning of Toy Story when he's, you know, on Andy's bed and he look, he's looking at it and he's like, you know, terrain seems unstable and, you know. I have crash landed on a strange looking planet. All this, exactly the same stuff. It's a little bit uncanny valley, of course, because it's not... Um, Tim Allen. Tim Allen doing the voice. Thank you. I had a momentary brain fart. And so you're like, it's so weird that it's Chris Evans doing a Tim Allen impression <laughs> for these exact same lines. Right. And they don't just reference Toy Story and things like that. They, um, and other Buzz Lightyear properties, they also reference, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars. And, um, I feel like there's aliens in there too. And, uh, I can't yeah, even there, think there of all aliens. of the movies, but basically 
think of the sci-fi properties from the time when Angus was a child, and he has referenced them all. The Star Wars stuff is especially egregious. I mean, at what point do you stop referencing and start stealing? Because (laughs) every scene in this movie is a scene from Star Wars. And this movie is supposed to be Andy's Star Wars, right? But it's not that good. It's not as good as Star Wars. No kid is going to watch this movie and be like, oh, that was the coolest movie ever. I want all the toys. Especially because if this movie came out in 1986, as McLean, you know, that's his favorite year, um, people would go, wow, this really just plays like Star Wars, a trilogy (laughs) that wrapped up three years ago. Right. Um, yeah, I was really surprised. Obviously, you know, all the backstory that I knew, I wasn't expecting the movie to be good, but I expected it to be very serious, very po-faced, and, you know, basically competent in the way that, you know, a lot of modern Pixar stuff is, like... Sure, you guys at least know how to make a movie. I don't think Angus McLean knows how to make a movie. I mean, here's here's some of the other, like, really basic problems with it. Um, the visual style is not the same. It's insane. Buzz, especially, they try to make him look so realistic. And every time he makes any sort of, like, intense face or whatever, it you, he gets these weird wrinkles and shadows on his face that just look wrong, super uncanny valley, but several of the other characters are animated in a more cartoony fashion. You know, you have the characters who are cartoonishly short or their eyes are cartoonishly big. And it's like, but wait a minute, why are some of them super hyper-realistic and some of them are super cartoony? You can't have both of that side by side. It just makes you notice how terrible the... And Uncanny Valley, the ones that are supposed to be realistic, look. Yep. And Buzz Lightyear in this movie is a major jerk. <laughs> He's so mean for no... He's look. horrible. And Buzz is not mean in any of the other things. No. You and I rewatched shortly before this, the uh, Adventure Begins, the movie pilot for the TV show, basically. Yeah. Um, Which Angus McLean co-directed, sort of. That movie is much like this movie, almost to the point where I wondered if he was intentionally ripping this off as well. They're both kind of about Buzz needs to get over the fact that he doesn't want to have a partner. He wants to go alone Uh and he has to put together a team of lovable, (laughs) definitely (laughs) in one of them, lovable characters uh you know who are these silly rookies and he has to realize no being in a team is great and he assembles team lightyear yeah both basically the the thrust of both movies yeah in buzz lightyear star command the adventure begins it's because at the beginning of the movie in a both cool and pretty funny uh action set piece buzz's partner dies and he feels very guilty about it yeah And he likes the rookies. He respects them. He's like, you guys are going to be great space rangers someday. I just don't want to work with you because I have the guilt of losing my partner. Yep. As long as Zerg is gunning for me, I have to go alone. Meanwhile, in Lightyear, he's a jerk. The first scene establishes that he hates rookies, gives no particular reason for that. And that's a thrust for the rest of the movie. Um, After he single-handedly... 
strands an entire spaceship's worth of people on a planet through being not only a jerk, but quite bad at his job. Yeah. His ill-defined job, by the way. I still <laughs> don't understand what the space rangers are. Or do. And or what's going on. Yeah, there's there's a lot of questions this movie brings up that just aren't answered. I will say, I liked several of the side characters in Lightyear. Yes. Um, Several of the, yes, Darby and several of the other people he is forced to partner with. And even his original partner, Hawthorne, um, is really cool. And I even kind of like Socks the Robot Cat. I like him okay. There's a lot of humor with Socks the Robot Cat that actually (laughs) works for me. I laughed at him as opposed to, that's supposed to be a joke? (laughs) Right. The angle they come up with to make Buzz a flawed character in the show is that he's such a goody-goody that he follows the rules to the T at all times and he's a square. Even his own commanding officer is like, you are too obsessed with rules. (laughs) Which is, you know, the opposite of your usual, like, cop show. Basically what he is in that. He's a space cop. And his other flaw is... He sees Zerg everywhere, and then that turns out it's not actually a flaw. It's it's just the truth. <laughs> right. I mean, that's... I, yes, we have to talk about this. Zerg in the show uh, and original movie, played by Wayne Knight. Absolutely hysterical performance. Absolutely hysterical villain. So many great lines. Uh, you know, where do you even begin? I love, in the original movie, uh, for example, the joke where... He's insisting that his new right-hand man be called Agent Z. Yeah. And after he finally agrees to this name, he's like, Agent Z, love it. Especially the whole Z thing. Zerg proclaims an evil villain voice, And you know what? We'll save a fortune on monogramming! <laughs> you know, there's so much stuff like that. There's a movie that knows how to have fun. Meanwhile, in this movie, Zerg is mostly nothing for most of it. And then, spoiler alert. Oh, so dumb. The dumbest twist in movie history. So, one thing you have to understand about Lightyear. The basic plot, I mean, we talked about, like, kind of the character arc. The plot, essentially, is there's this space base uh, on, you know, it's a secret mission in uncharted space, let's go, right? Uh (laughs) There's this uncharted planet, there's a whole little colony on it, um, they are all trapped inside a laser shield when Zerg and his army of robots appears overhead. And but the only people who are outside of the laser shield and able to do anything about it are Buzz and I forget what they call them, but people who aspire to be rangers in training. They're not yeah. even rookies. Yeah. They're the worst of the worst. Uh, and they, you know, they have to stop a big robot. But the movie first starts with 30 minutes of boring... Just suck all the air out of the movie. Time travel nonsense. Right, because you're you're mostly focused on Buzz, who is not interesting. And you're like, what is it? Like, why bother with all that, like, time travel stuff for literally 30 minutes of what's basically a 90-minute movie before credits? Two post-credit scenes, by the way. Get out of here with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And uh, so, you know, and you're like, what is the point of all this? Why couldn't we just get... If the plot is just, there's a big evil robot, we could have gotten there in like 10 minutes, Angus. Mm -hmm. Um, And it turns out the reason is because Zerg is not actually an evil emperor, nor is he a robot. 
he is old Buzz from time traveling a, from a different future who time traveled back to the past in an evil Zerg outfit. Zerg is how his robot minions mispronounce Buzz, which you might be thinking makes no sense. Berserg. Uh, Berserg. It's it's dumb. It's, it's really dumb. It, it comes out of nowhere and it completely deflates the villain because now he's not a big cool robot emperor. He's just this movie is so obsessed with Buzz Lightyear that the villain also has to be Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> um which is not interesting. It's it's yeah. quite boring. It makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, In, I guess it pays off the he's such a jerk. Here's what would happen if he continues on his jerky path. He becomes this evil bad guy. But nobody wants to see that. Yeah, you don't want to see Busby. Look, the original Star Wars, like, Darth Vader has no complexity in Star Wars 77. He's a guy in a skull mask who chokes people to death for sassing at it. Like, yep. if you're trying to rip... Yeah, he's just evil. I can't believe... I mean, I can, but we also got a fake-out villain in this of all movies! <laughs> um... So yeah, like you say, it's it's really bad. Uh, I think there's nothing good about it. I Maybe it's recency bias, but I really think it's the worst Pixar movie. There's only really a couple others that deserve to be in the conversation with this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you had anything else to say about it, but it's bad. No, that's pretty much all I had to say. I did want to share with you the insane take from the... Uh, uh, what is it? Beyond Infinity documentary, uh-huh. which is about one third the old heads from Pixar talking about uh, the original Toy Story and how they originally came up with Buzz, which is funny and interesting because those guys had like story perspectives and they talk about like we made up to Infinity and Beyond because it means nothing. It's gibberish yeah. and we wanted him to have a funny catchphrase he's saying all the time that just annoys Woody to no end. Uh-huh. Um, and they're surprised that people like like that quote now and take it seriously. <laughs> so that's good. About a third of it is actually Angus McLean talk about making Lightyear, which is bad. Um yeah, it's it's very unpleasant to listen to these people try to sell these bad this bad movie. It's very unpleasant to listen to Angus McLean, who's a freak. And a full third of it is uh, commercials for Buzz Lightyear merchandise that you can buy. It's insane <laughs> how transparent it is, where it's like, you can buy these Buzz Lightyear socks and this Buzz Lightyear costume and this Buzz Lightyear flashlight and whatever. Um, but, you know... As you would expect in this documentary, when Angus is talking about toys and stuff, he really lights up. He kind of activates. When he's talking about the movie, when he's trying to talk about the characters, he flounders. Uh Uh, At one point, he says, quote, This is kind of the buzz we know, but this is definitely not the buzz we know because this is a different buzz. So that's (laughs) that's a level of insight he brings to his passion project. Yeah. But he does say all science fiction is a metaphor for something in real life, which I don't think is true, but okay. And then he says, you want to guess what he thinks Lightyear is a metaphor for? Um, for dudes being jerks. <laughs> the process of filmmaking. <laughs> he says I it's a metaphor no for that. And it even has, to back this up, much like the famous, made famous by us, Home on the Range, you know, 9-11 happened while making this movie drop. <laughs> there is a 
you know, COVID happened while making this movie. And he claims that that's part of the reason for all the time travel nonsense at the beginning is because, like, COVID, it felt like time was changing and you didn't know what time it was. And uh, I don't believe you, Angus. (laughs) Trying to find meaning in this product that did not work out. I I believe the meaning in this product is that Angus McLean loves toys. He loves Uh them so much and there's literally nothing else in his life. Sincerely hope he never makes a movie again. I don't wish him ill. He can have a fine life with all his uh, Pixar royalties, working on his Legos, raising his daughter. <laughs> and uh, I always just- feel bad when somebody's passion project just so thoroughly tanks like this. But yeah, he, he needed some help with this one. And this one, you know, a lot of the bad movies we've talked about, it's like there was executive meddling, right? Yeah. As far as I can tell, there really doesn't seem to have been any on this. He's just a bad filmmaker who had a bad (laughs) idea for a film. Anyway, we're done dunking on you, Angus. I'm sure you're listening. (laughs) Please don't make another movie. We're going to go on to our first question now, which is a slightly longer question that uh, mom looked into for us. I did. Our first question is, um, perhaps for your next mailbag episode, you could talk a little about the Disney sing-along VHS series. Whose idea were they? Did Eisner and Katzenberg cook them up as a moneymaker and advertisement all rolled into one? Uh, short answer is probably yes. So what were these? Because apparently you uh, and your sisters watched these. I have we no did. idea. I, I know nothing about them. <laughs> they started releasing these in 1986, and it's just a collection on a VHS, usually about 30 minutes long, of you know classic Disney songs, usually with a little bit of an intro segment hosted by Professor Owl from um, those music shorts, you know, Toot, Whistle, Plunk, and Boom. I don't know if you remember having seen those. I know that one, yeah. Yeah, Professor Owl. So they basically, the host would be reused stock footage of either Professor Owl on some of the later ones. It's Jiminy Cricket or Ludwig von Drake. Um, But it's always, they just reuse some stock footage of them from old shorts to have them be hosting the uh, collection, whatever the collection of songs is. And it was usually, you know, with a sing-along, either the words sometimes changed color for you to sing along with, or there was a bouncing Mickey head or something like that. They weren't always the same. So the very first one was Zippity Doodah, and it came out in 1986. Oh, the same year as year. <laughs> it was issued to promote the 40th anniversary re-release of Song of the South in theaters. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, I mean, it had, of course, way more songs than just that. But that was the the main song, the sure. cover art. Um, <clears throat> and because Eisner and Katzenberg took over Disney a little before this, I'm assuming these were some of their ideas. You know, getting into the home video stuff was definitely an Eisner thing, but they definitely were going at it like, how cheap can we do these? Using all the stock footage, using, you know, the 
bits from the movies. Sometimes they would re-record people singing the songs. You know, it just depended. Sometimes it's like a children's choir, uh, <clears throat> just all different things. And the first four of them were all a similar thing. So like Hi-Ho came out to promote Snow White being in the theaters, The Bare Necessities. Again, Jungle Book was in theaters again. And then You Can Fly, Peter Pan's in theaters again. So the first few were definitely like, hey, we're re-releasing some of our classic movies in theaters again. You can get, um, you know, see some of the songs and things in advance and go see them in theaters. Like, hype it up. There you go. And the first few definitely had a lot more classic Disney songs. It wasn't until 89, 90, a little bit later, where they actually started having them promote the movies that were coming out then. Um, the one in 89, Fun with Music, has Oliver and Company, the 90, sure. Under the Sea, Little Mermaid, you know, again, now they're doing some of that. One of the ones, though, that um, we had was... We definitely had one called Disneyland Fun. And this one actually is mostly live action. Instead of just having, you know, the bits of the songs from the animated movies, they actually had a bunch of the songs and paired them with scenes of being at Disneyland. So like with the Disneyland right. characters and some of the rides and stuff like that. And this one, again, has a lot of like children's choirs singing the song sometimes if it's not the actual, you know, Mickey Minnie characters doing stuff. This is one I really remembered. I decided to watch this one because I wanted to rewatch one of them to see how much I remembered. Right. And as Isaiah likes to put it, it definitely triggered the deep nostalgia. <laughs> right. And not only the nostalgia for like, oh, I remember watching this, but also for... Oh man, I remember when I went to Disneyland in the 90s and it looked like this. <laughs> wow. So would you recommend it? For children. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, they are not great. <laughs> they are a, you know, fun little um you want to teach your kids some Disney songs? <laughs> but they're not, you know, anything amazing. And there's tons of them. And they re-released them several times and they would change things up sometimes when they re-release them. And now you can, I think, watch them all on YouTube. <laughs> I think that's or, right. Uh, they are... You know, they're they're just sing-along versions of the songs. I feel like several of these, or some of the songs at least, they, is what they used to have on the TV screen at the Disney store too. I think that would make sense. So I'm wondering if that's where I some of them are, you know, I recall from. <laughs> the Of the first 10, I was talking to my sister, we might have owned, I'm sorry, of the first 12, we might have owned 10 of them, or at least have seen them. There you go. Got that claim show. Like actually they were mostly they were mostly the ones that were the cardboard sleeve on the VHS. They wouldn't even put them on the <laughs> You don't show. even you get know, a claim show. No, this is the cheap VHSs, the cheap ones. You're lucky we didn't wrap sleeve. it up in newspaper for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Oh, but it was kind of fun to watch the the one that I did to be like, oh man, I remember this. Hey, better than Lightyear, I'm sure. 
Yeah. And much shorter, too. They're only about 30 minutes, so. There you go. Well, before we get to the rest of our questions, we wanted to do a quick animated canon catch-up. And that means, trust and believe it, you'll see that we'll pod the cast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse. (laughs) The podcast (laughs) where we are watching every film in the Disney animated canon, talking about how it means what it was made <laughs> why we love it or don't <laughs> this week on the program we are talking about raya and the last dragon directed by don hall and carlos <laughs> lopez estrada mom what do you think of this movie i i like raya and the last dragon um my experience with it was quite unique because we decided that for our 20th and 25th anniversary Since it was during COVID and there wasn't anything we could do like a big traveling or anything, what we did is we rented out a theater and we invited several of our friends to come and watch Raya with us in the theater to be our big 25th anniversary party. And it was the first time we'd gotten to do anything fun with friends in like a year. And um. We had a great time watching it with everybody, great time seeing people, even if we were all masked and, you know, couldn't hug or anything, but it was a really fun time. And I'll always remember going to see it with everybody like that. And I enjoyed the movie too. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. I had kind of a similar experience. Um, I didn't see any movies in theaters until I was vaccinated. It was just my, because for me, that was like, that will be my sign when the pandemic is over, quote unquote. We now know that it'll never be over, but right. um, it, it will be when I, I go see a movie again. Um, And I felt like if I let myself see one during COVID, the worst of COVID, I should say, then I would like watch a lot. I wouldn't be able to stay away. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. At any rate, so I watched Raya shortly after I was vaccinated. It was not my first post-vax movie because I was insistent, like, literally the day that I count as fully vaccinated, (laughs) I'm going to see a movie. Raya was not available on that day, so I saw Nobody, uh, which was mid, but delighted me. Raya, (laughs) I felt kind of similarly. I have, I'm like, I don't even want to watch Raya a second time. I had a blast with it in theaters, even though I was like, I'm pretty sure this movie isn't that good objectively. And I don't ever want to shatter that. Like, let's just keep that (laughs) as a beautiful post COVID memory. Uh, I remember feeling like it was very oddly paced because they have to go to what, like four or five different kingdoms. Yeah. Uh, Very quickly. They have to have a very quick adventure, completely introduce a new character and then run to the next one. Mm hmm. But mom, would you recommend this movie? Would you show it to a child? I would. I don't think it's one of the all-time greats, but I think it's a good one. It's a lot of fun. Um, the only thing that I remember thinking about it is it would probably have been more fun with some music, some songs, I should say. Oh, but... yeah. This one's in in bad need of... Especially because, again, it has to like communicate so much stuff so quickly. It does. It has some, to do a lot. Some songs would really get you there a lot better. But I really enjoyed it still. And I would recommend it to a child. I don't think there's anything too terribly scary. Um, You know, people are getting kind of turned into statues, but they all get unstatued at the end. So it's okay. Yeah, Uh, I'd recommend it. I'd well, I 
I don't I cautiously recommend it, I guess. Uh, again, I don't I don't know that it's a great movie, but it's it's definitely, you know, good for kids. It looks nice. Uh, it's it's a fun adventure. It really looks like it's going to have a villain for a long time. Uh-huh. It doesn't actually get you there at the end. Uh, nah. at, at the last moment, it's like, nope, never mind. She's not a villain. And you're like, great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I certainly had a good time with it. I'll but probably reaching never out, watch it. But the message of it, of, you know, reaching out to other people is a good message. Sure. It's another one of those where it's like, if we weren't in the bizarre villain drought that we are currently in, I probably wouldn't have a problem with that so much. Right. Anyway, uh, we don't talk about podcasts. No, no. <laughs> we don't pod about brew. No. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney MA can, talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it or don't. This week on the program, we are discussing Encanto, directed by Jared Bush and Byron Howard. Mom, what do you think of that movie? <laughs> uh, I really liked Encanto. I like it even better than Raya. It is not as good as Moana, but it does have very earwormy songs, as everybody knows. And they're good songs. I quite enjoy them. I like listening to this soundtrack. But the story overall always tends to, tends to leave me with more questions. Yes. Um, unlike Moana, which there are no, you know, doesn't leave you with like, now, but wait a minute. <laughs> no questions. It's just a, you know, wonderful. I think, I kind of think Moana is perfect, of course, as you know. Um, and you'll find out next week when we talk about it in depth. But I think Encanto is really good and a lot of fun, and I quite enjoy it. Yeah, I think Encanto is easily the best of the post-Lassiter era. Yeah. Which, just as a reminder, is that Raya Frozen 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, like, easy, easy winner. Um, I think it's a very solid movie. As you say, the songs... Beautiful to look at, too. It looks beautiful. The songs are great. It also, the look, it has a little more life in it than some of the recent Disney Pixar animation. Yeah. Um, I feel like Spider-Verse has kind of embarrassed everybody. And so like (laughs) DreamWorks had their movie this year, The Bad Guys, which is basically Ocean's Eleven in Zootopia. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which I really uh, enjoy the look of that. And it's very much taking from like the Sony animation, uh, Spider-Verse, Mitchell's versus the Machines style. Uh, Disney isn't there yet, but they're sneaking. Like, Encanto was <laughs> one small step towards that. Yeah. Uh, Turning Red was a slightly bigger step towards that. They'll they'll get there eventually. Yeah, they're uh, just slow. They're slow. All the Pixar guys are like, no, we've been pushing realism for years. You can't... Whatever. Um, <laughs> my... And so I mostly really enjoy this, even though it, it's not my favorite... Um, it gives you a great villain song that everyone loves and then is like, surprise, it's not a villain. And at this point, I was like, he's not going to be a villain. Of course he's not going to yeah, be a villain. Yeah, of course not. It's just not going to happen. Um, <laughs> no villains for you. No villains for me. <laughs> uh, and even the grandma, who's kind of a villain, she's not really. And you Yeah. Know. Um, so it feels a little standard, but you're having a good time. I don't like the ending. I think this is like one of the ultimate Disney have your cake and eat it two endings. And uh, I know you uh, disagree, at least the last yep. time we talked about it. So yep. you can offer your perspective. Here's mine. I think the movie offers a really great case for uh, magic being bad. 
Uh, or at least, you know, nobody in this likes having their magic gifts. They are these huge burdens that they have to carry. And the end of the movie is like them learning, oh, we can actually support our community and, and be good people without having the magic. And maybe that's a better way. You know, the actual miracle is our family. It wasn't the the magic, which was more like a burden. You know, they learned this great lesson. And I was like, that's really interesting. That's really good. I really liked that as a Disney lesson. And then it's like, surprise! Uh, and they also get their magic back. And I felt like that was just cheating. Uh, <laughs> I, I did not care for that ending. I will admit, I haven't seen it since we watched it in theaters shortly after it came out. So I may be remembering it slightly wrong. But I know that is broadly how I felt about the ending. Uh, Mom, point counterpoint. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see what you're saying there. I didn't think it was too out of character, though, for them to get the magic back. Um, I thought of it more as they needed to learn that, you know, you're more than just your gift. You, you know, stop putting all the pressure on yourselves. And then when they realize, hey, you know, as you said, we can survive without these magical gifts and we can contribute even without them, then they are allowed to get it back. And I wasn't bothered by it. It it did, as you say, felt felt like a very Disneyfied ending, but I was happy that Mirabelle basically gets to give the gifts back to her family. You know, it's because of her. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I mean, it's it's not ruining the movie for me. But I, you know, I wanted Casita to come back because Casita's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> oh boy. Um, and I will say also with this, you were talking about in comparison to Moana, which I also think is pr- pretty much strictly better. Um, you know, uh, one thing I will say is that I think the cast for this, we don't need to go through the cast. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's. It's a lot of people who aren't singers, like Stephanie Beatriz, who plays Mirabelle, who is an actor I've liked in many things, hadn't uh, really sung before this. Um. Um, Yeah, and I think you can... I I think she does an admirable job, but I think you can... There's nothing like I Am Moana, right? There's there's nothing uh, that is that impressive of a song. There's no Let It Go. There's nothing like that. I think that uh-huh. holds back the music a little bit. Not just her casting, but a lot of the cast actually is not uh, not professional singers. Some are. Um, I love John Leguizamo as Bruno, though, because I just love John Leguizamo. He's been <laughs> a lot of crap. Been a lot of crap. Been a yeah. lot of crap. But I think <laughs> when he gets the opportunity to be great, he is great. Yeah. So, Mom, would you recommend this movie? Would you show it to a child? I would. I would recommend it. I would show it to a child. I don't think there's anything really that scary in it. Yeah. Even the even the like tiny bit of stuff about Bruno is not that scary. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> if your kid's scared of that, you gotta you gotta like sit I mean, down I and guess be like, "Hey, cracks... stop! Stop being such a little coward." <laughs> I guess the <laughs> I guess the cracks are a little bit scary, but again, yeah, no, I don't think there's any problem showing this to a child, and it's a fun watch. And you'll get fun songs stuck in your head. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> For sure. I really hoped this would be the movie that really starts to break out from some of the post-revival and revival era tropes and formula. And I'm really looking for, like, a great movie to come out of Disney again. This isn't it, but uh, it's, a, it's a good one. I, I have a yep. good time with this. I'd happily watch it again. 
I, I don't have a specific reason I haven't. It just, you know. We're well, watching. We have a, been watching other things. I was going to say, we <laughs> watch a lot of Disney over here. I don't really watch Disney in my free time anymore. <laughs> yeah, take a little break and then maybe you'll want to watch it. <laughs> okay. Uh, podcast, podcast, song not found. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to me, Mom of the Mouse. Podcast where we talk about movies that don't exist yet. Mom! What do you think Strange World, directed by Don Hall, coming out later this year? Do you have any thoughts on the I, uh, on the on the preview? On the trailer. Yeah. What's your trailer reaction? I think it looks interesting. I'm still in the hopeful stage for this movie. I haven't seen anything so far that makes me nervous, like, oh no, it's gonna be terrible or anything. It could be interesting i don't know really that much about it yet so let's see what don hall's passion project is yeah it's gonna be weird from don hall who's not a passion project guy really as we've uh talked about what his kind of passion project is uh originally the movie was going to be called searcher clade which is the name of the main character but they got rid of that because it sucks (laughs) it's a terrible (laughs) title um i really like the look of this trailer i'm i gotta tell you my feeling about this has been like this is kind of what i like would have liked lightyear to be like because i'm because it's a whole big weird alien looking world right i i love when disney does sci-fi uh and this has this very interesting pulpy feel uh, I, I'm really intrigued by this. I hope it's good. It's got a good cast, too. Let me take you through the cast. Number one, Jake Gyllenhaal is Searcher Clade. <laughs> you might know him as Mysterio from the Spider-Mans and yep. many other things and many other many, better movies. Many things. <laughs> Chibuki Young-White as Ethan Clade. He's a comedian who I really like. He's a very edgy comedian, kind of not someone you would expect to do a Disney movie, but I'm excited for it anyway. We've had several other people that it's like you wouldn't expect them to do a Disney movie either. Robin Williams. <laughs> exactly. Gabrielle Union as Meriden Clade. You might know her from every sitcom. <laughs> Lucy Liu as Callisto Mao. I, I don't know who that is, but she's in it. You might know her from kicking people in the head. Indeed, I do. And generally being very cool and being in the good uh, Sherlock Holmes show from the 2010s. Mm-hmm. And, bizarrely, Dennis Quaid as Jaeger Clade, Searcher's father. Okay. As a weird one. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to it. it. It looks neat. Once again, I'm like, I'm hoping this is a really good one. And come on. Pulp Adventure. Sci-fi fantasy. It's villain time, baby. We gotta have <laughs> some evil aliens or something. Please, I beg you. But the real enemy was just inside us. Nope, I don't like it. The real enemy is some guy. (laughs) So that is our Disney anime canon catch-up. We have now covered, in some form, every film in the Disney anime canon and talked about, etc. (laughs) Mom? Yep? Would you like to answer some questions? Let's do it. You just did. I tricked you. Ah ha ha. Got him. Well, this next question's for you anyway. Oh, it's for me! (laughs) If you had to do another I. Coleman is Doomed type video game series for one of the terrible Disney games, what would it be? Have any piqued your interest? 
So let me say for anyone who doesn't know, I Coleman is doomed is a show that I uh, did on YouTube. Uh, you can find it there if you just search I Coleman is doomed. Um, in which I played through every single Doom game, which is my favorite series of video games, uh, using only the two weakest weapons. And I will say, like, I was a little... Uh, this question was asking about, like, what terrible Disney games would you do with I Coleman is Doomed? Uh, I Coleman is Doomed wasn't really about terrible games. It was about me being terrible at games. <laughs> Moreover, I feel like the licensed Disney games are pretty well-trod ground at this point. Like, a lot of YouTubers have covered, like, worst Disney games. Um, yeah. So, as far as a game that, like, I have a connection to and might be terrible at, I feel like the Emperor's New Groove game would be a fun one. Because oh, wow. it was, like, impossible. <laughs> yeah. It was so hard. The platforming in it is so bad. I feel like that one I would get mad at. I could do a funny hook that was like, this is the game I never beat as a kid. I'm going back, seeing if I can. <laughs> uh, as far as any games that piqued my interest, uh, actually the Chicken Little game that's all about the Adam West version of Chicken Little looked kind of fun. Uh, yeah. I would just play that for my own amusement. And if anyone can like tell me how to get the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command game working, I'd appreciate that. I'd love to revisit <laughs> that. That game was cool. Mom! If you could build slash design a ride off of a movie that doesn't currently have one, what might it be? What movie deserves a Disney ride? Uh, I think I would definitely pick Emperor's New Groove needs to have a secret <laughs> lab roller coaster. I feel like that's almost too obvious. But, but uh, I like roller coasters and I love Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> here's the problem, though. Here's the problem what? with that. You what? failed to consider. Eartha Kit can't do any voiceover. Well, that's true. They could take the voices from the movie, though. Get Warburton back, for sure. He'll do it. Yeah. Uh, I just hope that such a ride would get into Kronk's essential Jewishness. <laughs> uh, this was a question for both of us. Uh, yep. The first thing that popped into my mind, not, you know, perhaps to be stereotypical, was Treasure Planet. Yeah. Uh, or Atlantis, both of those have, like, you're in a vehicle that's moving in a cool way, and mm -hmm. uh, they have a very cool look, so those I feel like, I mean, I don't think there's a market for a Treasure Planet ride, but I would love it. <laughs> uh, Big Hero 6, I feel like, is also an easy one. You're flying around yeah, with Baymax. Yeah. It'd be fun. Um, but, you know, also, I feel like we talked about this on one episode, Princess and the Frog! Let's get it yeah. going. What's taking so long? <laughs> oh, indeed. Oh, me. Uh, you could maybe do something with uh, Casita and Encanto as well, actually. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Some kind of like the Tarzan treehouse type thing. I'm not saying it needs to be the treehouse, but it's like you're walking around inside this place. Well, yeah, or think of some of the uh, strange house things we've gone to at like um, science museums or whatever, right? Where you've right. got, uh, you know, mirror tricks and things like that. Stuff you can touch, stuff you can interact with as you walk through the different rooms or whatever. Basically, you know, or you could even do something like the Haunted Mansion, but don't replace the Haunted Mansion. No. You already ruined Pirates no. of the Caribbean. <laughs> They didn't ruin it, but I, I'm always a little sad when I see the movie stuff, even though I like those movies. 
Like, man. So this was a fun question. Somebody asked us why Zootopia is called Zootropolis on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I want, I was wondering why it was called Zootropolis specifically on their Disney+, Plus because I didn't notice it being called that on mine. But... <coughs> yes, this question came, I mean, let's just say it, it came from your mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's okay. This is the title in the UK and several other countries in Europe and Africa where Zootopia was copyrighted for legal reasons because it's, you know, it's a name that some people had already thought of. For example, there was this yeah. one Danish zoo uh, that already had like a program called Zootopia because, again, it's uh -huh. pretty easy. Um, in yeah. Germany, not only was Zootopia copyrighted, but there was a children's book called Zootopolis released in 2010, so they couldn't use Zootropolis, and instead, in Germany, the movie is called Zoomania. <laughs> Basically, and, anything that starts with zoo is fair game. And while looking at this, I found some other funny alternate Disney film titles, so let me hit you with these, Mom. Okay. Moana is called Oceania in Italy, because Moana is the name of a famous actress. Also, Moana is called Vaiana in most of Europe. Yep. The Three Caballeros was called Have You Ever Been to Bahia in Brazil? It's funny because I feel like a lot of Brazilians would just be like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Sword and the Stone was originally called The Witch and the Wizard and later Merlin and Mim in Germany and is known as The Boy, The Wizard, and His Sword in Sweden. It was called very dramatically The Sword Was the Law in Brazil, which is my favorite. <laughs> The sword was the oh law. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. It reminds me of like those, uh, there's like this series of spaghetti westerns called, uh, like, I think it's Sartana. And every single one is like, titled something like, if you meet Sartana, pray for your death. <laughs> Sartana is coming, trade your pistol for a coffin. <laughs> a goofy movie is called Completement Dingo, completely goofy in France. <laughs> Uh, and of course, if you looked up the title of that one, you'll find out what Goofy is called in every other language, which is just funny. That is funny. Fun and fancy free being a phrase that doesn't translate has some real weird ones. It's the rascal of spring in France. Penniless <laughs> and free as a bird in Sweden. It's so good <laughs> to have fun in Brazil. And most bizarrely, melody time in Spain. <laughs> So then I want to know, what did they call Melody Time? I think Melody Time just didn't get released, is what I saw, but I'm not sure. Fox and the Hound is called Red and Toby, Enemy Friends, in Italy. 101 Dalmatians was originally released as The War of the Dalmatians in Brazil. I have to say, the war? Brazil has the best titles. I'm not sure who's supposed to be warring with who. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't say. <laughs> the, great the Great Mouse Detective is called The Sleuths in the Netherlands. Alrighty. Doesn't, doesn't tell you much. No, it doesn't even tell you that they're mice. The Rescuers is called Bernard and Bianca pretty much everywhere, with the sequel usually translated as Bernard and Bianca in Australia or in France, Bernard and Bianca in Kangaroo Country. <laughs> Home on the Range being another thing that may not make sense if you're not in America is The Cow Gang in Sweden <laughs> and Not Even If the Cow Coughs in Brazil 
which is an expression that means not even if the impossible happens. Okay. And then this isn't in the canon, but I thought it was funny that Monsters, Inc. has different subtitles to match corporation acronyms in different countries. So in Germany, it's Monster AG, and in Spain, it's Monsters SA, and uh, and so on. <laughs> Monsters LLC, I feel like it would be called if it was made there today. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a lot of inks. <laughs> Isaac, how do you do the guy stuff voice? Um, this question amuses me a great deal. <laughs> I didn't really think of it. Guy stuff has been a running family joke for a while, uh, because you used and to. And how do you do it for, without hurting yourself too? Was the right, second right. part of the question. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, but I wanted to talk about where guy stuff came from because it was a running family <laughs> joke. Because you used to work at the American Girl store, right? And the American Girl store has books about puberty. Correct. And the one for girls is called The Care and Keeping of You. Mm-hmm. And the one for boys is called Guy Stuff. Guy Stuff! <laughs> <laughs> and this just, I mean, this just led to us making so many jokes about what was in the Guy Stuff book about like, Guys, you better start showering. It's Guy Stuff! <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're gonna get hair all over the place, Guy Stuff. <laughs> um, I feel like- Your feet gonna stink. I feel like the voice just happened immediately. It's like a monster truck announcer is how yeah. I think of it. Uh, you know, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. But how do I do the voice without hurting myself? I've done a lot of, like, amateur voice acting and silly voices in a lot of projects for a long time. Uh, and I think in I, Coleman is Doomed is the most thought I've specifically put into it because there's a character in Doom 4 named Samuel Hayden, Dr. Samuel Hayden. And Uh I redubbed most of his dialogue because it's very boring, and I thought I could make him sound funnier. And and, uh, he's a robot. He's a robot with a very deep voice. He's very intimidating. And so I wanted to learn how to do kind of a growly robot voice, and Mom is very impressed. By this voice, I'm Dr. Samuel Hayden. I am not the villain of this story. Yeah, I am very impressed with that voice and how you managed to get um, almost a metallic sound to your voice without modifying it at all. This is Isaac's voice, unmodified, except by his own vocal cords. Yes, that's exactly right. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much. Uh, I knew that... Here's the thing about Samuel Hayden. He talks a lot. It's like his defining character trait. Indeed, so he just blathers I, on and on. <laughs> um, and I knew that I would need to do his voice without completely destroying my throat. So I practiced, and I can't really describe what I'm doing. I'm sure if I was a professional voice actor, I could. I'm sure Frank Welker could tell me what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but I feel like I put the growly part uh in the front of the throat, if that makes sense, rather than in the back of the throat, so it doesn't, like, scratch me. Uh-huh. So I could do it for a lot longer. Because the Samuel Hayden voice is actually just me doing this. Uh, and then the metal part I can just do on any voice. Um, mm-hmm. And so the guy stuff voice has a little bit of that. If you listen to the guy stuff versus the, you know, Samuel Hayden. Uh, yeah, uh. <laughs> 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 it, 
and now nobody's listening to this episode. <laughs> but uh, that's that's all the answer I can give you. You just I, I've just practiced a lot. I love doing like monster voices and stuff. I love doing silly voices to make mom laugh. And uh, I don't know, guy stuff. It just uh, came to me in a vision. <laughs> An audio vision. An audio vision. <laughs> So, we are asked, out of all the Disney animated canon movies you both saw, on which movies are your opinions most heavily informed by external influences like nostalgia, bad or good press, behind-the-scenes facts, etc.? Uh, all of them. <laughs> it's true that the nostalgia is a big part of a lot of the old ones, especially I was thinking of Sword in the Stone it's not the best movie ever, but I have so much nostalgia for it that I love it probably more than I should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why we always ask, like, what does this movie mean to you? And at the end, it's, would you recommend it? Not like, yeah. is this an objectively good movie? Yeah. Um, our podcast, I think we've always tried to be upfront about, like, this is really about mom and my journey together. And what we think of these movies and how they've played a role, like, in our family. It is yeah. not about, uh, I don't know, it, it being very intelligently critical. Maybe there's some <laughs> of that sneaking in occasionally, but not much, I hope. I will say that a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff will actually make me appreciate some of the movies more. Um, I think that... That's partly why I was disappointed in some of the behind the scenes or lack of behind the scenes information on some of my Blu-rays and DVDs, because a good behind the scenes featurette can actually make you appreciate and like the movie more because you see the work that went into it and how the terrible movie that might have been that <laughs> they, you know, somehow managed to dodge like with Emperor's New Groove, watching that long um, behind the scenes movie for Emperor's New Groove really gave me an appreciation for the miracle it seemed like that we got a good movie out of all of that. For sure. The the Sweatbox documentary, which I'm feeling yeah. now is a dab in my forehead like a southern <laughs> gentleman. <laughs> With a nasty tissue. You should have got tissue. yourself a, a, a damp washcloth or something. I should have. I should have. I'm not a fancy <laughs> big city lawyer. <laughs> yeah for me treasure planet is the one that's most influenced by nostalgia for sure yeah. i i can i watch that movie like with split everything everywhere all at once vision where on the one hand you know <laughs> i can close one eye and see the not very good movie and on the other hand i can see uh that you know sometimes the winds of the ethereum made one spirit soar indeed uh, but i struggle with this all the time like i i just talked about how like, a lot of the modern Disney Pixar movies, uh, I have felt, I, I feel like both studios are kind of slipping, feel like we haven't gotten anything truly great from either in many years. And I'm just, like, am I just too old? <laughs> like, am I just too, uh, you know, cynical now? Um, are these movies way better than I'm giving them credit for? Especially with something like Turning Red, which I think you and I both liked uh, a little yeah. less than many people. Uh, though we still both enjoyed it. And uh, compared to something like Lightyear, it's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> that movie has a perspective and a consistent yeah. style and an enjoyable storyline. Like, oh my word. Um, 
so I, I really struggle, like, I, I think you'll hear in most of our episodes, like, the ones we've seen more, we almost always give better reviews to than the ones we haven't. Bambi's another one for me, yeah. where it's like, so many people talk about that as one well, of the best animated movies. I've only seen it once for this podcast, and it left me a little cold. And I'm like, am I not being fair to this just because I didn't grow up with it? Uh, I don't know. I think that's up for you as the viewers, uh, the listeners, <laughs> to decide. <laughs> well, the viewers of the movies. Certainly, certainly. Related to this, Mom, while we were doing the podcast, which movie opinions of yours changed the most? Did a movie drop hard in your ranking because of your discussion on the podcast? Did a movie grow on you? I don't know if the discussion changed my opinions at all, but some of the movies did um, end up falling in different positions than I expected. Like, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed watching Alice in Wonderland. I had forgotten how good that one was. It was just one of those that I was like, oh yeah, Alice in Wonderland, it's all right. And then we watched it and I was like, wow, this one's actually really good and I really enjoy it. And there was definitely nostalgia going on for me with that one. Um, And it surprised me. One of the most. Um, Meet the Robinsons went up for me. But, you know, I barely remembered that one because I'd only seen it once before. Right. And, you know, where we watched it also, you know, where it comes in the timeline can make a difference. For sure. For sure. And, you know, Hercules went down a little more than I expected because s- several of the jokes just don't hit like they used to. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I also had my very first thought was Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> and uh, I wrote that Hercules was the biggest nostalgia buster for me because I definitely loved that movie as a kid. Yeah. And uh, watching it, I was like, OK, I get why people say this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh Lilo and Stitch and Wreck It Ralph are obviously both movies I liked uh quite a bit and would have expected to like be good movies, but I didn't expect either to crack my top five, and as yeah. we'll talk about next week, they both did. Wreck It Ralph being higher than Tangled for me especially was a surprise. But when I watched yeah. them both, I, I just thought Ralph was fresher and kind of just kind of perfect and I love the animation and uh uh-huh. Uh, you know, as we said on that episode, it hits different when you're in the workforce because it's kind of a working class <laughs> movie in a weird, oblique way. True. Uh, I definitely gained a deeper appreciation of both a goofy movie and Robin Hood. Yeah. I always liked those movies, but I was like, you know, are they actually good? Robin Hood, especially. And now I feel like, yes, those are both like fully good movies. Uh, you know, Robin Hood has some, you know, questionable it steals a lot of animation let's just say that from itself from itself (laughs) um but you know the the discussion we had with dead i felt like it kind of helped me get them uh so those are great the biggest drop for me was probably peter pan uh blame it on you know sjw wokeness if you will but uh the the there's so much fun stuff in that movie but this time around all the native american stuff just really ruined it for me and uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know that I'll be revisiting that one so much. Uh, I think, it, but the live action one, I I like. Yep. If you could switch the directors of two Disney movies, which would you choose and why? I feel like this question's more for you, Isaac, <laughs> because I don't think about the directors of the movies very much. 
Which is the hard part of this question for right? me? Right? Because, like, I would love to see Chris Sanders' take on Bolt. <laughs> but I don't necessarily want to see Chris Williams' take on Lilo and Stitch. True. So when thinking about this, I felt like I had to find two movies that both have room for improvement. <laughs> and I have two options, neither of which I'm that confident in, but I wonder. It's a really interesting question. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard. It's especially hard because, like, Disney movies... I'll, I'll tell you, more than the directors on Disney movies, there's a lot of them where I think about Disney movies that would have benefited from some Ken Anderson character design. <laughs> Zootopia, yeah. Bolt, Brother Bear, a lot of the animal movies that he didn't do, I'm like, I wish you he had. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so here are the two ideas i had kevin lima and chris buck from tarzan swap with musker and clements on hercules uh-huh so kevin lima if you don't remember directed a goofy movie and i thought that because of that he might have made herc more successfully funny right meanwhile musker and clements uh, might have made tarzan a little more legitimately romantic and given it the emotional heart it's missing they're pretty good at that True, and there were plenty of animals for them to, you know, to deal with, the animal companions and stuff. For sure, plenty of animal companions. <laughs> um, of course, you know, this assumes both of those movies got a little more creative control than they probably actually did. Right. So that was one idea I had. The other was uh, swap Mark Dindal on Chicken Little with uh -huh. Stephen J. Anderson and Don Hall on Winnie the Pooh. Okay. Anderson and Hall know what they're doing with CGI, which might have made Chicken Little a little better because Mark Dindal, as we talked about, was having to learn this. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like Mark Dindal, being the director of Emperor's New Groove, probably would have made a better job, probably would have done a better job making Winnie the Pooh 2011 uh, hilarious like they wanted it to be. I feel like he might have gotten the comedy better. Mm -hmm. those are the only ideas i had yep i i w couldn't really come up with any good ones so i was like ah, i'm gonna leave this one to you <laughs> replace angus mclean on Lightyear with a brick <laughs> so mom let's say tomorrow you wake up and you have all the disney creative power what's your next project well i know i've mentioned it before but i think that book lark light would make a great animated movie mm-hmm so, you know, I'd probably try to get the rights for that. Make it, you know, we got steampunky version of space with pirates and aliens and Treasure. definitely bad guys. Treasure Planet already exists. I don't know what you, what you want. It's already the perfect version of that. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't have a a, a magic house. Uh, I suppose that's true. And it doesn't have the family dynamics that go on in Larklight. I wondered if uh, you were going to greenlight the Discworld movies, the Musker and Clements <laughs> and more that never panned out. Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, I kind of feel like that the Discworld movies would be better made maybe by somebody other than Disney. You have all the creative power, though. True, true. Well, I'm hiring, you know... British people who get the humor better. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. If so, if so. Fair enough. Also, it's going to be a three hour long animated movie. <laughs> it's going to take 50 years to make. 
Yeah, you just make a series. <laughs> there you go. Direct to Disney Plus. Um, so there was a Twitter prompt that was something like, uh, you know, if you woke up tomorrow as the head of Disney, what would you do? That goes around every so often, and I've always answered it the same way, which is uh, put everything in the public domain immediately. <laughs> uh, I feel like everything I want from Disney stuff would come from that. I feel like the more interesting takes are going to come from outside the Disney company. And also anything that I could do to dissolve the actual corporation, I think would I would have to consider that my responsibility. Um Alternately, Brave Little Toaster 4K restoration released on home video <laughs> with all the deleted scenes on the disc. Uh-huh. Uh, but to answer the question more in spirit, which is like, what project would you greenlight? Uh, something funny. Anything yeah. funny. I feel like there isn't enough of that of Di from Disney in general, but I feel like especially recently, you know, oh, Ryan the Last Dragon, it's about you know, uh, healing political tensions and Encanto is about generational trauma and Frozen 2 is kind of about the treatment of indigenous people in a really boneheaded way. Um, <laughs> I'm sick of it. Enough. I want more Sword in the Stone, Emperor's New Groove energy. Uh, let's yeah. get some songs in like those movies have, especially Sword. I would just like ev ask every Disney director, like, give me your funniest pitch. I think we need yep. some comedy in these trying times. That is kind of... Oh, I agree th with that. That is what I would like to see, probably more than anything else from Disney, is a movie where they're not talking... You know, Lightyear did this too, right? Or they're not talking about its deep themes. They're not talking about, you know, whatever. It's it's great story. Just like, hey, we tried to pack this thing full of jokes. That would make me mm -hmm. more excited than anything else Disney could do, I think. <laughs> Other than, again, Brave Little Toaster 4K. Properly so restored. So you want, you know, a lot of jokes and a cackling maniac villain. Right. I mean, I just assume that that, that would follow. But uh, I mean, honestly, I'll settle for jokes. That's that's like <laughs> that's what I like about the cackling maniac villains. To be honest, is that at their best, they're very funny. You know, Bowler Hat Guy, Radigan, uh, uh, Prince John. You know, they're all very funny. That's that's yeah. like the best thing about them. And then finally, we had a question that was very uh, heartfelt. So this is going to be our last question. What has been your mm -hmm. favorite part of recording this series? And they also asked you specifically, have there been any movies you've really enjoyed getting to show Isaac or rewatch with him? So I'll do the second part of the question first. I was very excited to watch The Black Cauldron with you for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Your first time. Right. I had seen it once before um, because I thought you would really uh, enjoy the horrible craziness <laughs> of it. <laughs> and it would be fun to watch it with you. That was fun. Um, Dinosaur was actually more of a surprise how much fun we had watching it. Um, that one was a lot of fun to watch together for both of us for the first time. And it would not have been as much fun to watch on our own. Oh, certainly not. No, <laughs> don't do that. Um, I mean, there weren't any I didn't have fun, but those were the two that like stood out to me. <laughs> yeah. And as for my favorite part of recording the series, I just want to, it's probably just all the conversations that were sparked while we were watching the movies, after, you know, when we finished the movies and we would just talk. And 
you know, when we talked about them for the podcast and then even just talked about them after, you know, as we were talking after we'd finished recording all of the extra stuff we just talked about, um, they sparked a lot of conversations for us. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's, uh, that very similar for me. My favorite part of recording this series was just watching the movies together. I mean, and and like yep. talking to you every week or almost every week because, you know, one of the reasons this started, as we've talked about many times, was we started recording and working on this show in 2020, uh, yep. even though it didn't go live until 21. And it was, you know, we'd been talking about it for a while, but we eventually pulled the trigger because it was like, we're just going insane. Like, I... Yeah. I, I especially living alone, I was like, I just want to talk to you and hang out. And uh, yep. that honestly has been the best part. And even though, you know, the, the Disney movies are over, I hope we'll continue to do something like that. We're talking about just watching the new season of MST3K, like one episode a week. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to do a pod. We're not doing any more podcasts. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> but uh, no, just to have a scheduled like here's our time to get together and hang out and watch movies and have fun. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm a mama's boy, but I I have had a a lot of fun with that. Even watching Lightyear this week, uh, you know, we didn't take notes on it or anything. I definitely had a little uh, grown-up juice (laughs) to help Lightyear go down smoothly, uh, and that was a real treat, Uh, despite the movie being totally just rotten to the core. Um... (laughs) But, you know, some of the other things I enjoyed about this, that is my most true and heartfelt answer. But uh, I also, in, you know, prepping my answers for this question, for all these questions, I I took little notes, as I'm sure you did, too. Yep. yep. I did write dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) That was so funny. We're laughing so much on that episode. We were laughing even more watching it. The extinction (laughs) event truly, like, I had to mute my mic. Because I was just crying laughing for like four minutes. Yeah. Um, yep. Oh my word. Dinosaur was hilarious. Uh, I also, one of my favorite parts of the show is, you know, 9-11 happened. <laughs> uh, maybe it- It's true that there are a lot of things I would never have known about some of these movies if we hadn't done all the research and stuff. It's just so funny. Um, because so, I never would have gone out of my way to research these things. You never. You sometimes will. You sometimes will look stuff up, and you're always more interested in the directors and things than I've ever been. But it has been very interesting to learn all the things we did. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I never would have watched every <laughs> Home on the Range bonus feature desperately trying to find something to talk about and stumbled across Alan Menken very seriously explaining that the sad cow song was him trying to heal the nation after (laughs) 9-11. Um, uh, I feel like this show gave me a much better appreciation for animation. I feel like that's one of the reasons we liked Alice in Wonderland better. Um, But just in general now, watching animation, I feel like I can see all those things uh, better, like being able to recognize a cap shot or yeah, a certain yeah. piece of technology. Um, it's true. And to, to really think about what goes into all of these scenes, I will say learning the effort that goes into them has given me a much better appreciation for the animation process, even though I already knew a little bit of it, but just even more so. And 
as you said, it's fun to be able to recognize, oh, there we go. That's, you know, they couldn't have done that without the computers. <laughs> right. Um, so, no, I, I think it's been a blast. Uh, and, and also, finally, one of my absolute favorite things since we got an editor has been mm-hmm. throwing uh, an insane request for some kind of audio stinger to Brad. And he yeah. always somehow knows exactly what we're talking about, exactly what we need. Um, the guy stuff, uh, quote unquote, theme song <laughs> still <laughs> cracks me up every time. It is one of the funniest oh, yeah. things I've ever heard. Uh, it's great. I lo- he just nailed it. I love it so much. Um, the We just dropped our Big Hero 6 episode. If you haven't listened to that, the ant status <laughs> is so funny. Um, oh, it is. I, I, and, you know... We always listen back to the episodes. Uh, sometimes we offer, you know, recommendations for further edits and stuff. We always want to, like, tr- literally triple check each episode before it goes live. That's the high standards of quality we have here at Me, Mom, and the Mouse, LLC. <laughs> and uh, that's, that is always one of my favorite uh, things to do, is just to request on the recording something ridiculous, like an ant status and get it back. <laughs> Haven't heard the Moana episode yet. We had to do a grandma status. Genuinely can't wait to find out what the grandma status is. <laughs> True. And, uh, of course, all of our special guest episodes were another... Right. that was a lot of fun. Another highlight. All of our wonderful guests. I can't remember if we say this on the Moana episode, but thank you to our guests. Uh, Christopher yep. Coleman, Isaiah Coleman, Rebecca Samdahl, uh, Bailey Wendell. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those episodes always have a very different flavor to the others, and it's always interesting. It's true. Um, yeah. And I appreciate them them coming on to do that. Especially because often for, like, less exciting movies, like, I think the Big Hero <laughs> 6 episode is one of our best. Would it have been so without Isaiah? No. <laughs> that no. movie does not offer that much to talk about. <laughs> But it lets you guys build, you know, play off each other and build off each other the way you do as brothers, and it was great. <laughs> oh, the the part where we're just talking about what the best superpowers are. <laughs> oh, what a delight. Um, so yeah, what a good show we've made. What a good yeah. show. Don't you like it, folks? Don't you love it? <laughs> Aren't you gonna listen next week? Aren't you gonna? We don't have a, a donation set up, but aren't you just going to track us down and <laughs> hand us money in real life? Because you should. You really should when you think about it. <laughs> Anything else you want to say uh, to the people out there in Radioland, Mom? Um, Just that it's been a really fun time doing this with you. I'm glad you pushed me into it. Um, I will say when you first brought it up as an idea, I was like, no, I would never do something like that. Ah, talk in front of people. I mean, not exactly in front of people, but, you know, right. just throwing my voice out there for anyone to listen to. <laughs> and it has gone very well. I think it's come out very good. And I appreciate that you wanted to do this with me. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, you're you're welcome. But it was so like the I Coleman is doomed episodes you were on were so fun and they were so popular and uh i just love talking about disney with you i i it was such an almost obvious thing to me that like (laughs) how good this was gonna be and uh, i think we've delivered on 
all the ideas I had for it. I, I'm very proud of this show. Uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm proud of... I, I mean, I think we have better episodes and worse episodes, but I'm proud of everything we put out. Yeah. And uh, I'm also a little excited to be done. <laughs> it was a lot of work. One question we didn't cover is what we're doing next. Resting. <laughs> yeah, Leave us alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll come back. We'll do something in future. We have no plans. Uh, I, no I suspect plans. I won't be able to keep myself away from the iColman's internet content brand for too long. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't have anything specific. We're not doing a Pixar series. I don't want to do a Pixar series. <laughs> I know I joked on Twitter one time about doing a Disney Toon series. We're not doing that either. Um, no. No. It's, what more can we cover? We did so many... You know, nobody asked what our <laughs> least favorite part. Let me tell you. Watching them spinoffs. I'm so glad to <laughs> n- <laughs> never watch... Any random garbage on Disney Plus again. Today I watched that Lightyear behind the scenes special that was so bad. And I was like, this is the last one. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. I never have to watch a direct-to-video sequel again. Now, any sequels or spinoffs or anything that you want to watch, you can watch them only because you want to watch them. Right. Not because they are, you know, you're forced to watch them. (laughs) I know. I know. I, I, that... Sometimes that was rough, folks. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> that was rough. Yep. Anyway, tune in next week. We got the Moana episode. It's a banger. It's a finale. We got a bunch of surprises in there for you. I think you'll feel it's, it's a fitting end to the series. Um, and that's it. There's nothing else to plug. This is the end. <laughs> you can email the mailbag, but you're not going to get anything back. <laughs> Oh, you know, we could always just reply to no, somebody, but no, you know, you're not getting another episode out of it. You're not getting another episode, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> so tune next week for Moana. And until then, I'm me. And I'm Mom. And it all started with a mailbag. <laughs> and with COVID. <laughs>